I'm starting to think that maybe we should do a potluck thing. Potluck, potluck. The potluck is going really great. A potluck. Seriously. Seriously. This is the Incredible Inman's Pop Culture Potluck. So welcome to the uh, Pop Culture Potluck. Um, my name is David Inman and I'm here as, uh, as I am by, uh, every once in a while, by, joined by my brother Steve. Hi Steve. Hello David. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good. And we like to get together and talk about um, stuff we remember from when we were kids. And, and we've done a podcast about the pop music we listened to and the movies we saw and TV shows we watched. We thought it'd be interesting this time to kind of look at what we laughed at, the comics and the comedy movies and comedy albums we listened to when we were growing up. And... Um, you know, I think like most kids, you you kind of inherit, when you're growing up, you really don't know what to like. You're kind of guided in that by your by your parents, and we were just talking about about that. Yeah, I, you know, it's similar to the way my dad, our dad was as a, as a person, his humor or what he thought was funny was a little bit different. Um, he, he really liked Bob and Ray, which were really not even that popular when we were around in the 70s and the 60s. But uh, he really enjoyed Bob and Ray. He also, which which made us think, oh, they must be funny. So we kind of listened to it. And I think he had an album by him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Jackie Vernon was another one who I didn't really even know was a comic uh, until after he did uh, Frosty the Snowman. <laughs> you know, he That's did right. the, he did the, he was like... And then I realized that he was actually a comic, and and there is some funny stuff uh, of him on YouTube. He did a lot of Dean Martin appearances, mm-hmm. and his little his shtick was just real, you know, real uh, deadpan. Dead- I mean, our dad had a very dry sense of humor, and he appreciated comics who kind of had that same kind of style, like Bob and Ray, and Jackie Vernon was this kind of nondescript looking guy. He never smiled. He carried a trumpet on stage, but hardly ever played it. And he would come on and and just start. We'll put a clip of his in here so you can get some idea of his style. But he was really funny in a very deadpan way. Tonight, I'd like to direct my talk to all the introverted men in the audience. You know who you are. If you were shy, timid, meek, you shouldn't feel too bad about it because the meek shall inherit the earth. They won't have the nerve to refuse it. (laughs) My own personal experiences may help you. To look at me now, you'd never believe that I used to be a dull guy. (laughs) Everything about me was dull. My favorite comedians were Ted Mack, (laughs) John Cameron Swayze. (laughs) I seem to have trouble being liked. Dale Carnegie once punched me in the mouth. Things would happen to me that could never happen to anyone else. When I was a kid, I had a rocking horse that died. <laughs> I traded my Etzelin for Kaiser Fraser. And we didn't, 
the only the only reason that we thought it may have been funny because our dad laughed at it, so we thought, oh, well, it must yeah, be funny. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of, the, I think, probably the way a lot of people sort of started in what they thought was funny right. was, you know, my, yeah. if our dad came to us and said the Three Stooges is the most hilarious thing, we probably would have thought it was funny, but he didn't. I think he probably thought it was a little juvenile, but he, he never. Right. We didn't really understand exactly. that exactly. But they, we had a lot of um, a lot of exposure to comics as did a lot of people and during that era of the 60s and 70s uh, was from the Ed Sullivan show. I mean, he was the, mm -hmm. that was about the only game in town as far as people being on TV. Yeah. And if you were there, then you must have been something. Right. right. And it was, and, and, you know, really, it was people who were appearing in nightclubs and things like that, which, of course, we would never go to since we were like eight. But <laughs> it was a good way to kind of grow up seeing those guys. And they were these kind of, I'm thinking of people like Jack Carter, Alan King. Um, these Jack Carter was like he sang, he danced, he told jokes. Yeah, he was just like nonstop. He was, and in fact, some people said that the reason he never became really, really popular was he was almost too overwhelming to watch him because he was so frenetic and and all the time. Is he still alive? He just died like a year ago. You're kidding! Wow. And there's a there's a great. Uh, uh, website called Classic Television Showbiz, and the guy who runs it is named Cliff Nesteroff, and he interviews these comics, and he ended up doing like an 11-part interview with Jack Carter. Wow. And uh, during it, you know, he he would get mad at Cliff Nesteroff, then they'd make up, then he'd, he was just like this, you know. <laughs> but anyway, those were the kind of old-school comics we grew up watching. Alan King, Myron Cohen, who was this Jewish storyteller, again, very deadpan. He had been a garment salesman in New York, but he entertained his clients with jokes and stories and became a comedian. And you know, since truth is so much stranger than fiction, imagine a man who found it possible for 25 years of his life to arrive for work every morning at 9 o'clock. Just as the good Lord made the day he walked in for his work at 9 in the morning, you could set your watch by his appearance. And suddenly one morning, after all these 25 years of punctual 9 o'clock appearances, he walked in at 10. Big lump on his head, two black eyes, bloody nose, ear hanging, lip torn, clothes ripped and disheveled. Boss says, what happened to you? He says, oh, I fell down old flight's tethers, almost got killed. The boss says, so this took an hour? <laughs> And, and was on Ed Sullivan's show all the time. Henny Youngman, Rodney Dangerfield, um, you know, all of those guys, most popular in like the 60s into the early 70s. And uh, The um, whole impressionist, you know, yeah. genre is a whole different thing too, you right. know. Like, I didn't really know, Rich Little was not really a comedian, it, not in the strictest sense, he would just do impressions of other people, right. and that would be funny for, yeah. you know, for whatever reason. Yeah. But um, Frank... you know, it's interesting. I saw I saw Rich Little in person, uh, probably in the late '90s, and uh, he got up and he was doing his act, and almost like I don't know, 75% of the people he was doing were dead, because he had not, you know, he had not updated his. He wasn't doing Michael Jackson or anything. he was still doing. <laughs> He was still doing Jimmy Stewart and Jack Benny and all these people. And it started to get weird after a while because if you knew who these people, you know, some people 
conceivably seeing his show wouldn't even know who he was imitating. He's probably still doing. He was still doing Georgie Jessel. Yeah, people don't know who Georgie <laughs> Jessel is, you know. But in 1953, people knew exactly. who Georgie Jessel right. was. Right, but it was like that's the problem with being an impressionist. You have to keep your stock updated, or else you're. Uh, he doesn't. <laughs> no, your he's, targets are going to be all dead. He's still working, as far as I know. Oh, I'm I, sure. I saw him on. Uh, I won't be able to think of the name of the show now, but he was a guest and he was doing the same shtick that he did in 73, <laughs> you know, and people were still laughing. So why should he change it? You know? I mean, his big update at that point was Ronald Reagan. He was doing Ronald Reagan, you know, <laughs> he had just added him into the, to the repertoire, but yeah. Yeah. So impressionists were the subgroup. Frank Gorshin, who was one of those guys who was, it was eerie to watch him because he not only did the voice really well, but he's his face would he would take on the he would he would look like the person he was imitating, Kirk Douglas or, oh, yeah. or whoever you know. He yeah. would his face would just get that way. It was kind of eerie to watch. And many the four listeners that we have probably <laughs> know that Frank Gorshin was also the Riddler on the Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a television show at that time. Yeah, his big claim to fame. But he wasn't very. I mean, he was. Uh, I never knew that he was a, a legitimate impressionist, really, until much later. I saw him. He was on the episode of The Ed Sullivan Show where the Beatles made their debut. He was one of the guests that night. And so I watched that on DVD, and there he was, you know, doing his stuff. And just very, very realistic. I mean, his, his impressions yeah. were really, really good. Um, he looked like he was a pretty intense guy. Yeah, I think so. I get that idea. Yeah. We, um, and then, you know, we had... At the time, we had uh, comedy albums that that was sort of the new thing, you know. Uh, we had a we had a um, we had a Bill Cosby record. We actually had two of them. One was called Disco Bill, and the other one was called um, My well, My Brothers. What what's the uh, anyway? I can't remember right. the name of it, but it was a it was funny, and you know, it's not the Bill Cosby we think of when we right. talk about it today. It was when he was new and and yes. different. And and he was now he wasn't the first African American I'm sure, but he was sort of the first one to kind of break through and mm-hmm. and um, do his own thing. Yeah. Um, but there was there was we had a Jonathan Winters album, mm-hmm. Bob Newhart. It's been my experience in comedy that most good comedy comes out of your own uh, personal uh, experiences and. I grew up in Chicago, and, and the area of town I grew up in was at the end of, the, um, of the, the bus line, and the bus drivers would turn around and they'd head back downtown. So I had been watching bus drivers since I was like five or six years old and became convinced very early there must be a school that all bus drivers attend because they couldn't innately know these things that they're able to do. So I'd like to take you now to that school, and as we enter the course, we find the instructor talking to the student bus drivers. Uh, Gentlemen, you have just completed uh, what's known as a basic course in bus driving. Uh, We're going to present you here with actual situations you'll encounter while driving your buses. And it's primarily designed to find out whether you're going to be good bus drivers or possibly one of the the great all-time bus drivers. Of course, when I say great all-time bus drivers, immediately comes to mind the name uh, Larry Strickland. Probably the greatest bus driver of the 40s and then into the 50s. Uh, Neil Norlag, certainly the 
the greatest left-handed bus driver we've ever seen. <laughs> so what we're going to do, we're going to take one of the students, Johnson, yeah, you want to get in the bus, and, uh, and Miss Selkirk, yeah, you want to get back to your marks, and we're going to um, present you with situations you'll very often encounter on your buses. All right, uh, Johnson, yeah, put, you pull your bus in, all right, discharge your passengers. Now, out of, out of the rearview mirror, you'll you notice this old woman running for the bus. Yeah, you want, you want to start running, Mr. Selkirk? <laughs> let's, let's see how Johnson handles this. You, you, you're, pull, you're pulling out much too fast, Johnson. Hold it. Hold it. Yeah, she gave up halfway up in the block that time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what you want to do is just kind of gradually ease out, you know, and you're, you're kind of always holding out the hope they can catch up with the bus, you know what I mean? <laughs> Now, another thing you have to watch, uh, a lot of these, these older women, they'll run at three-quarter speed, and then they'll, they'll put on a final burst and catch up with a butt, so. Um, what other comedy records did we have? See, I don't, and then I remember hearing George Carlin for the first time at, oh. at a friend's house. Yeah. He had the AM-FM album. I got fired last year in Las Vegas from the Frontier Hotel for saying shit in a town where the big game is called crap. It's some kind of a double standard, you know? I'm sure there was some Texan standing out in the casino yelling, oh shit, I crap! So they fly those guys in free, you know? Fired me. Shit. Get as much trouble saying shit as you can smoking it down there. <laughs> Shit's a nice word. It's a friendly, happy, you know, kind of word. Handy word. Middle class has never really been into shit, you know, as a word. <laughs> no, not really comfortably, not completely into it, you know, not really relaxed with it. You'll hear it around the kitchen if someone drops a casserole, you know. Oh, shit! Oh! Oh, look at the noodles! Oh, shit! Don't say that, Johnny. Just hear it. Oh, shit. Sometimes they say shoot. They can't kid me, man. Shoot is shit with two O's. No one ever uses the word shit really literally, you know? It's always figurative speech. Hey, get that shit out of here, will you? Just move that shit away. I don't want to hear that shit. Give me that shit. I don't have to take that shit. I'm not full. You're full of shit. Kind of a shithead or something? I don't need that shit. And this was probably in the early 70s, and that was... I can still remember bits off of that album, because we'd go to his house every day after school and listen to it. I think because nobody else was home and we could get away with it, but... Um, it was considered blue, or yeah. it was considered risque. There were drug the time, jokes on it sure. and yes. things. I don't remember a lot of profanity on it, although there may have been. But that was the first inkling to me, you know, in my sheltered life that that there was this kind of side of comedy that could be, you know, more controversial and dangerous. Yes. I mean, at that point, Red Fox, I just knew him from Sanford and Son. I didn't know he had a whole career doing, you know, part what they called party albums. <laughs> and uh, which we never we never went to any parties like that. No, not at all. No, no. I don't think our parents did either. I, I don't know. Maybe they did. They just didn't tell. Well, us they about didn't it. take us wisely. <laughs> but uh, it's you know, comedy albums are interesting because whenever you're listening to them with a group of people, I never know where to look. You know what I mean? It's like 
do you just keep looking at the record and laughing <laughs> or do you look at each other and laugh or do you, you know, it's, it's just, there's this little thing that goes on and, and it's just, I don't know, it's probably just me, but it's just, I don't know where to look. So the, um, one of the, a place that, that I heard jokes that I, I assumed they were funny because the people on the record were laughing at them was we had Frank Sinatra at the Sands <laughs> and, um, yeah. And he would tell stories, jokes, whatever. I hope that you're having an enjoyable stay here in Las Vegas and also hope that you have been fortunate. I do wish that for you. I can't say the same for Mr. Basie and myself because we run into a streak of bad luck. Sunday we went up to the Grand Canyon and it was closed. And last year, we invested a bundle of money in a pumpkin farm, and then they called off Halloween. And everybody on the, on the recording in the crowd thought it was hilarious. Mm -hmm. I didn't get all of them. I didn't really understand what you know, certain topics meant. But apparently, he was just like one of those guys. He thought he was a real jokester. And if, yeah. and if you're there to see him, of course you're going to laugh at it. What are you going to do, insult him by not laughing? <laughs> um, but that was a big deal, too. And, and we would... It seemed very grown up to us. Yes. And we were kind of, oh, yeah, I get it. You know, yeah. we had glasses clinking in the background and all that. <laughs> um, but at the... At the um, uh, there was a show, The Smothers Brothers was a big mm -hmm. deal. That was, that was a big one for me because that was the first time that it was almost like I discovered them. You know, I didn't I, I didn't hear about them through my parents. Of course, they were on right after the Ed Sullivan show, so you just stay tuned. But I, I, I was 12 or 13 when they first came on the air and just thought, can literally just remember just laughing at their at their monologues. That, oh, that cabbie down, boy, turn that whole cake round. Only song I ever did sing is, boy, that cabbie's down. Oh, that cabbie's down, boy, turn that whole cake round. The only song I ever did sing is, boy, that cabbie's down. When the railroads were inching across America, the railroads first started across America with hardy men pounding steel in the ground and laying the tracks, inching across America ever so slowly in the industrial America. The railroads first started America with the men working, inching and toiling and working across the Basque America from the mountains to the valleys, to the orchards, to the ocean white with snow. <laughs> God bless America. <laughs> and the hardy Chinese men were on the east, um, the west coast, the hardy Chinese men were pounding steel, whop into the ground <laughs> from the west coast heading east. And on the east coast were the hardy Irish from pounding steel in the ground heading from the east coast heading west. And they met in the middle <laughs> in a dramatic and emotional thing and met in the middle and made the first continental railway from the east coast to the west coast walked right with a golden spike right in the ground it was on christmas day 
and they had a big feast for all the Chinese men and the Irish men, and their feast was that they ate it. They all sat down and they ate together in a, in a, a mixed group like that. <laughs> <laughs> and their, their Christmas dinner was hot cakes boiled in cabbage juice. <laughs> Pancakes, boiled in cabbage juice. It's not so popular now. But they're but they were um, supposedly edgy and a little political, maybe even a lot political, which is easy to do in whatever year they started. Yeah, 60 in the late sixties. Um, but that was a big deal. Pat Paulson was on that show. He was yeah. um, ran that, for president. Yeah, that was it. Was it was more. I don't want to call it adult humor, that's not the right, but it was a little more sophisticated than what you had seen on TV. But the Smothers Brothers, their basic, you know, thing was always the same, and it wasn't controversial. Some of the humor they started doing later was, but, you know, it was like comedy folk music, Yeah, and, and they had their thing that they did. Mom liked you better. Yeah. Kind yeah, of stuff. Exactly. Yeah, which is... But that was, to me, that was the beginning of, of kind of finding out comedic people for myself I don't, there's yeah. a better way to put yeah it. I, I get that um but just going back to the to recordings real quick one i can't um ignore is the flip the flip wilson record that we bought on little david uh <laughs> records and but but and i think i've said this in a previous podcast that it was basically an audio recording of the first yeah. Flip wilson show i, I mean i'm not sure but anyway, that was a big deal. Uh, we had the record. We actually listened to it more than once. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this part's funny. You know, listen to the, that kind of stuff. <laughs> Which yeah. is, it was a unique thing. You never, you'll never, you never see those again, for sure. Nobody's ever going to release a comedy album. Really? I, well, you know, that, that, was, that was the only venue. You either had that or you were on a TV show. You know, you didn't have Netflix and you didn't have uh, YouTube and stuff like that. And... Uh, yeah, the Flip Wilson thing was weird because it was basically somebody put a microphone in front of their TV set and then like released it. And again, going back to this classic television showbiz website, they he will have interviews with comedians who didn't even know they made a comedy album until they like walked past a record store and saw it in the window. Somebody oh brought a gosh. microphone to their act and made the record and didn't pay him. And oh then a lot of these... Record companies were ma mafia connected, and so you didn't want to go to them and say, "Hey, give me my money." And uh, this was back in the '50s and '60s, kind of the wild west of of comedy. So, as my taste started um, developing, I started appreciating older movies and paying more attention to those than I had when I was little. So, yeah. Laurel and Hardy and Charlie Chaplin and Marx Buster Brothers. Keaton. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I didn't really, I didn't get there till after you got there, you know, because you started. Um, you had a Dave was a big collector of movie posters, and he had a bunch of Marx Brothers posters, and I just kind of thought I, I never really. I mean, I knew who they were, but I never really. And it was just I don't know how old I was, but it was just slightly ahead of where I was, mm -hmm. which is really not saying much because I was so far behind. But you know, Buster Keaton and. Uh, the Marx Brothers and those type of, I'm just never, I never really, I mean, I could appreciate them now and I think it's funny. Charlie Chaplin was another one. 
I never really got it. I mean, mm-hmm. I got it, but I just wasn't. No, you, yeah, it, it, it didn't, and that's why it didn't hit me until later. I also saw, when I was 13 years old, there was a re-release of It's a Mad, 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 yes. Mad World, and it came to the theater. I don't even think it had been on television at that point. And so a friend and I went to go see that, and I just thought that was the greatest movie ever. I was 13. But um, it still has... I still think fondly of it. It's not a perfect movie. It's really long, and there are yeah. parts of it that aren't very good. But it was another movie that was just really pivotal in in uh, kind of shaping the kind of comedy that I yeah that I like. I, I I just like the fact that everybody and their brother was in it. Yeah, you know, so it's almost like the person that decided to make the movie is hey, why don't we do this? Let's get twenty five <laughs> of the biggest stars and just throw them in there somehow. Because yeah. as you said. There were cameo. Jerry Lewis had a cameo, mm-hmm. Jack Benny, and a few others. But I mean, for the time, that was like a big thing. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 I thought it was funny. Um, I if I see that it's on now somewhere, I'll watch it just because it's just one of those movies. Um, I, I do remember when I was telling you this a minute ago, when uh, I was probably in 11, 12, 13, somewhere in that, I used to go to this particular barber shop and get my hair cut. And I would usually go after school, so it was around four o'clock, three or four o'clock. I would go to this barber shop, and one day I was in there getting my hair cut, and there was a, a beach party movie. I don't know if it was, but it was Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello and The Usuals, and they were on a beach and they were dancing, and I just remember watching that movie, and I saw this guy that was like the, the Jughead character in the movie kind of big and dumb and you know and he was dancing and he just did these stupid dance moves and I can remember just I, I could not stop laughing I was in tears I was <laughs> laughing so hard and the guy that was cutting my hair was like hey are you okay I couldn't even breathe I couldn't talk you know but that's just stuff like that things like that just hit you and and you just think they're funny and, and it's really funny that you should mention that because and I don't know if it's the same Beach Party movie, but it, it was the first one, Beach Party. And I remember because it had Bob Cummings in it. And he played a kind of an anthropologist who was, ex, you know, living on the beach to examine how the teenagers, you know, whatever, some dumb. <laughs> but there was a part of the movie where he had learned some sort of Eastern meditation technique. And if he put his finger on the side of your forehead, you would freeze. And so at the end of the movie, there's this big kind of comic fight scene, and he goes around making all these people freeze. And for some reason, when I saw that, I thought that was hysterical. So Beach Party movie is clearly a trigger <laughs> for both of us. We probably shouldn't be watching it because no, we'll just be we, like we can't falling control on the floor ourselves laughing. apparently. Yeah. So that we, um, as we sort of progress through our our ages, you mentioned George Carlin. In the AMFM record, or Class Clown, or was it? Uh, oh, maybe it was Class Clown. Well, whichever one it was, yeah. he he did a tour um, for one of those or both of those, and he came to to here, and I went with actually the guy that used to be my pediatrician, his son, and I went, and we went to see him, and of course we we were so primed to laugh, you know, we were just right. like, oh, I can't wait to laugh, you know, <laughs> and so what do you do for two? You laugh to, like you don't have good sense. And it was it was sort of out there. I know my parents were like, mm, "I'm not so sure if you should be going to that." I think it was five dollars, wow, is what it cost. Um, so that was a big deal. And then, um, you know, we 
We also went to see, there was a few, and, and we did we did help uh, launch this person's career. And that's Jay Leno. Uh, he, was, <laughs> he was nothing until we Oh, yeah, we him. were instrumental. <laughs> he came to a local comedy club, and there was, I think, maybe four or six of us that went. And I don't know if you remember this. We were sitting close, right? Because mm-hmm. it was just to get in and find a spit, find a spot. And he t- he came up and interviewed me and asked me what what I did for a living and all this sort of stuff. Do you remember that? Yeah. Okay. And he made a joke out of it, ha ha. And I was sort of being his straight man, right? Whatever. Uh, it was great. And then I don't know how much longer. A little while after that, he came back to here. And but this but, is all before the Tonight Show. This cr- is oh like yeah, in yeah. The 70s, yes, yes. Mid seventies. Mid seventies. Yeah. And he came here, but now he it sort of uh, advanced, and he, he was in a theater as opposed to a dingy comedy club. And so we're walking into the theater, and we came into the back, uh, the back of the, of the auditorium, and we pulled, there was a car that pulled up right in front of us, and I think you said, somebody said, hey, what if that's Jay Leno? And I said, it is. And they're like, what? <laughs> what sure enough. Driving like a... He was in a Mustang. Oh, and there was. was somebody driving him around, oh, like his okay. handler or something, yeah. right? So he, it was him. And he gets out and says, hey, Jay Leno. And I just went up and started talking to him. And I actually had the nerve to say to him, so are you going to tell the same jokes you told the last time you were here? And he just kind of said, yeah, I guess I am a little bit. That's a terrible Jay Leno, but you <laughs> get the idea. <laughs> but um, that was a big deal. And he was funny. Um, yes, he was. Whatever, I mean, he was the first comic I saw who uh, really did kind of work an audience into a, I mean, he wasn't just good. He was really good about stringing yeah. jokes together and, yeah. and interacting with people, which is, you know, a lot of comics can go out and tell jokes, but if you're going to like interview people in the audience and deal with hecklers and all that stuff, he seemed to, he knew how to do all that. You know, I don't know if it if it really is different now with comics or not. I seem to think it is, but maybe it's just me getting old. But are there are there any? I will say this: there is one guy that I heard recently for the first time named Brian Regan. Yeah, I flew here. How come the first class people just they can just get on whenever they want? I've always hated that. First class people board at your leisure. Take your time, first class people. Mm. Coach, people know, wait, sit, sit, scuzz, wait, little piggies. So when you do get on, the first class people, they're already sitting there. They're all sprawled out in their big thrones. Bring me the head of a pig. And a goblet of something cool and refreshing. Anyone have a fiddle? Make someone from Coach fiddle for me. Amuse me. They have fiddles in the overhead racks up there. You're not uh, allowed to even use their bathrooms. The bathrooms up front are for our first class passengers. The coach bathrooms are located at Newark Airport. Concourse C. Concourse C, ladies and gentlemen. So when you do board, the first class people, they're sitting there. A lot of them are working as you're boarding. They have computers out and calculators. They're looking up at you like, hey, we're making money right now. Right now we're making money. Go, get in the back. 
close that curtain. I don't want to see it. Even in my peripheral. Ah, snap it. Snap it shut. What's the matter with us? They got to cover us up with a tarp. And you go in the back, everybody has coloring books. I... <laughs> Hey, come here, where was you? Where was you at? You're in the middle, and there's nine of us, and you're in the middle, and we have all the armrests, so you gotta sit like this. You gotta figure out a way to eat your snack while your elbows are touching. You gotta learn how to twist your little plastic utensil. Yeah. I mean, he is hilarious, mm -hmm. R-E-G-A-N. But I've seen, for every one of him, I've seen yeah. ten that are awful, just terrible. Well, and, you know, Netflix, I mean, does a lot of young, they're doing a whole young comics thing now. And it's like, they've, they've got like seven or eight different comics, and my wife and I have watched most of them, and one or two of them are really good. But, yeah, you have to... It's easy for people to go on and do the same stuff or to do a lot of, you know, sexist or mm -hmm. whatever jokes in the name of, you know, being cool. And when you see a good one, you really know it. Yeah. But Brian Regan is good. There's a guy that we've seen, Mike Berbiglia. Hey. I, uh, thanks a lot. Uh, I'm Mike Berbiglia. Uh, I got one of those last names that you always have to spell on the phone, like it's B as in boy, I-R, B again, I-G-L-I-A, and I wish my last name were just boy. I'd be like, it's B as in boy, and then the rest of the word boy. <laughs> I'm Italian, but my family's not real Italian. We're like Olive Garden Italian. Sometimes people come up to me, they'll be like, in Italy, it's pronounced birbilia. I'm like, in America, you're annoying. <laughs> it was tough growing up, you know, kids would call me names like Berbigglebug and Berbibliography and faggot. But I love being a comedian. I always want to be one. Even when I was a kid, before I knew what comedy was, I knew I wanted to be a short Jew. And my parents were like, we're Italian. And I was like, stop your kvetching. <laughs> I was a kid who wanted to be a comedian or a rapper or the owner of a pizza restaurant where third graders could hang out. Yeah. Rap was very different when I was a kid. It was very innocent. It was just like, ribbit a rap, 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 a rap-tastic. It's gotten so arbitrarily aggressive. Rappers will be like, it's 2005, mofo. I'm like, you're mad about the date? You gotta pick your battles, man. I mean, you get mad about that. No one's gonna believe you when you're mad about real stuff. Like, you crashed into my car, mofo. Yeah, but you were mad that it was 2005. You're like the boy who cried mofo. He has a couple of specials on Netflix that are really good. 
So I think Jim Gaffigan is very good. Yeah, one of the best. Yeah. Uh, and these guys, and and I'm not a prude, but I I I like the guys that don't use any. There's nothing objectionable in their in the right. material. They're right? just funny. They're just funny, and they have you know. John Mulaney. Uh, yeah, is good. And so you know there are. It's interesting because it's. I mean, yeah, you can do stuff that's really controversial and kind of make a name for yourself, but. Um, I think that, I think we're actually kind of turning back a little bit to cleaner mm. comedy, but there are always going to be people who can get away with stuff because you can, you know. Right. There's no. Well, you can get on that anymore. Yeah, even more so in today's world, you can say just about anything and get away with it. Somehow, somewhere, somebody will laugh at it, and and most likely somebody's already said it. You know, there's there's so much that's just not yeah. original. Right. But anyway. Yeah, and it's and you know people forget how massively popular Johnny Carson was. I mean, because now it's you know between Colbert and Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel, they all kind of divide up the audience. One is not a huge, you know, but everybody tried to put stuff up against Johnny Carson, and, and for decades he just stayed on top. Mm. And uh, I think that I think that Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, uh, Colbert, and Conan O'Brien. They they are not even, and I don't mean that they're they're not even close to Johnny Carson mm-hmm. in terms of they don't do the same thing that Johnny Carson right. did, yeah. uh, and I don't know that they even try to honestly, but it's just such a different, mm-hmm. uh, it's a different audience these days yeah. than it was then. Yeah, um, I think they 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 obviously they do political things and that's funny some of it is, um, but it's very topical. Um, I don't know. Be, you know, done with an eye toward what's going to be on social media tomorrow. What can yeah. we, you know, what bit is going to be, you know, it was like we were in New York over Christmas break and in a lot of the cabs there play TV clips while you're driving somewhere. And I kept seeing this TV clip from Jimmy Fallon had Jennifer Lopez on there and they were like playing a parlor game. I mean, that's what you do now. You don't just talk about stuff. You you play games on TV, and then if it's like a funny enough bit, it goes on your Facebook page, and people watch it the next day. And that's what it's all about now. It's like creating mm. those those moments. It's not. It's it's. I don't know what it, it's just different, and it's not. You can't imagine Johnny Carson. No. You know, playing a game with somebody or no. something like that. No. So. But I don't. I don't. I. I, I thought that Jimmy Kimmel was funny. He used to be sort of the straight man on this show on Comedy Central called Win Ben Stein's mm-hmm. Money. He was very funny in that because he and Ben Stein sort of worked, you know, mm-hmm. in tandem. Uh, but then when he when he got to and I, I still think he's funny, but I think he feels a little bit I don't I don't know this. Kinda of like a fish out of water. That's I mean he can do it and he he does a good job at it. But I don't know. It, it's just um, maybe it'd be better with somebody to kind of. I don't know. It's hmm. hard to say. Interesting. But that's a that's a that's a a, a part of the the um, of television that was really created back in the the Jack Parr, the Ed Sullivan. But Johnny Carson definitely took it to a different spot. Mm-hmm. Jack Parr was not funny, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't even try to be funny mostly. Um, but and then Johnny Carson sort of came along, and so now we've got you know this group yeah, of people. Yeah, that's true. It's it's an evolution because Jack Parr was. Uh, I mean, he would tell jokes, but he would also just be very intense and very emotional. 
on TV in a way that, and Carson was never that way. Mm -mm. I mean, he very rarely revealed anything, yeah. you know, about himself on television. Yeah. And uh, maybe people liked it that way. I don't know. Well, I think in general, there wasn't a lot of that in the, especially in the 60s, but even more so in the 70s. It just wasn't something that was just... It did. Now, the, I will say this. The 70s were probably a little bit further along than it was in the 60s. On mm -hmm. television in the 60s, it was just about do the thing, tell the joke, let's get... You yeah, know, right. That sort of thing. But the 70s sort of comes along, and now, you know... You know who I attribute that to? I think one of the people who really played a big role in that was Barbara Walters. <laughs> Which is weird to talk about her on a comedy podcast. <laughs> but, you know, I never saw anybody cry on TV, like literally really cry, like not acting, until I started watching her interviews. And I don't even I don't know if she intentionally tried to start doing this, but it almost was it got to the point where like every interview she was gonna ask you something designed to try mm. to get you to cry. And to me what that did was it kind of cheapened the emotion a little bit. It kind of turned it into a let's let's manipulate people into I don't know that's well there had to be somebody no that, you're right if it wasn't her it would have been somebody well else. no I mean there had to be somebody that you saw get emotional you're like wow she did that so who was it? I guess and I can't remember I mean her first it was when she was doing those you know celebrity interviews the greatest people of 2001 yeah, or, or if something. you were a tree what kind of tree would you be um, and I don't I mean it has to be somebody who had some sort of emotional story to tell, or Richard Pryor. Yeah, <laughs> he never really fell apart, at least as far as I could see. Actually, he did. Now that I think about it, after the freebasing incident, and all, there's somebody else who, yeah. uh, another comedian. I didn't really get exposed to him until my friends in high school would say, "Man, you got to hear this," and it was kind of out there right. but it was hilarious yeah. it was so racist though I mean against his own people yeah. or, you know he made fake it fun of his family and his dad and um, but anyway that um, and I, I'm going back to oh you you literally did see him get emotional on TV oh yes yeah okay. after his uh, freebasing thing and half of his face was burned yeah. off or whatever I'm, I think it may have been Barbara Walters huh. where he was just talking about it. you know if I do this again I'm not going to live or something like mm -hmm. that Wow. Something no, you know, menial, no big deal, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was. Um, hmm. That's a good point. I hadn't really thought about Barbara Walters. Uh, you know, I, I just when I think about that, and I think about that, what seeing somebody break down on TV because mm -hmm. that was, you know, that that wasn't when we were growing up. That wasn't what TV was about. No way. And and then suddenly it became this kind of thing, and and now you know you see it so often on. Dateline or 2020 or you know whatever it's just it's I like it better when it's celebrities that fall apart because nobody <laughs> seems to think that they ever fall ever, apart yeah, right, right? Mm -hmm. but I think um, actually now that I think about it I saw Jay Leno get emotional talking about his parents but I can't remember who was interviewing him oh. but I think they're both gone now or one of them had just recently died and he was talking about him and he got choked up and so you know yeah. Oh, no, sure. They're people. And, uh, you know, and, and I'm not saying that everybody who cries on TV is, is you know. Do, do I need to go on TV and cry? Yeah, Would that help? Please. 
I do it enough off the air. <laughs> Nobody ever records me crying. Oh, we'll put a stop to that. All right. Um, well, let's let's leave it there, as they say on whatever you say, television. Chief. And uh, uh, thanks for listening. And, uh, we'll be back later. See you. <laughs> 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 <laughs>